continuing our series called Stranded. And today we are going to take it a little extra spin because it is Father's Day and we want to honor our dads, but we also want to challenge our dads to be the men that God has called them to be. So we started the series talking about everyone's favorite topic, how to honor God with our money. And it was oddly quiet in here. It was like back when COVID shut us down and I was the only one in the building. That's how eerily quiet it was in here. And I'm sure it was the same at home. Um, and last week, Darren got up and he talked about prayer and how God has taught us not to be showy, not to be long-winded, but to come to our Father as we would with our earthly dad and just lay it out to him. This is what I need. This is, this is what's going on, God. It doesn't have to be showy. It doesn't have to be attention-drawing. It just has to be honest and heartfelt and intimate with the God who draws near to us and loves us immensely. And this morning we're going to continue on with Jesus' teaching about what prayer looks like in our life. But before we do, I want to ask this question to kick it all off. What is something your dad taught you growing up? One thing the dad taught you growing up. Everyone online, you can throw it in the comment section. What is one thing your dad taught you growing up? And it can be something that, you know, if you want to embarrass your dad online, you go right ahead. I won't stop you. Um, I know growing up, the one thing that my dad instilled in me time and time again is the value of a, hard day, a good day's work. Good day of hard work. Because there's nothing like working hard and being proud of what you've accomplished, being proud of what you've done. And dad was the hardest worker I knew. He just worked so hard. And the other thing that he taught me in his working hard, in his being willing to go out and work wherever it needs to be done, he always put us first. He was willing to sacrifice comfort. He's willing to sacrifice his time. He's willing to do whatever it took to make sure that my brother and I and my mom had all the things that he wanted us to have and experience all the good things that he wanted us to experience. So that taught me the value of hard work and making sure that your family always comes first. <laughs> and in light of what dad is, your dad may have taught you growing up, or maybe if dad didn't teach you something, maybe he wasn't around, what is something that maybe your grandfather taught you, or an uncle, or a neighbor, or somebody who was kind of that father figure for you, if you, you know, what, however to fill that... <clears throat> But along the lines of teaching, we're going to pick it up with Jesus continuing to teach the people in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at how, um, what I'm going to call the, the practice of prayer, right? He, taught, uh, he was talking about how you, don't, you go to your private room, you go to your closet, as some people call it, your prayer closet, and you pray, and what God sees in secret, he rewards in secret, and what's done in public, he said, you've already received your reward if it's done in public. And if you are going to pray, don't pray with long and extra extravagant and fancy words. You don't need it. God already knows what you need before you pray, so just come to him, keep it simple, keep it honest, keep it intimate. And in fact, he, Jesus takes it one step further and he says, actually, when it comes to prayer, Here's, here's what you're going to pray. Here's the content of your prayer. And I think this is so important for Jesus to teach us this because when you become a new believer and you're fresh in this thing called Christianity, the first thing you always ask when someone talks about prayer is, how do I pray? 
What do I pray about? Who, what, what do I say? What do I do? You know, do I kneel? Do I have to do the sign of the cross? Like, what do I have to do to pray? And when we're often so well-intentioned and we're like, oh, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, you just, just share from your heart or you just, just share something that's going on or just, just talk to them like you, you and I are talking. And I think actually when it comes to that question, wow, how do I pray? What do I pray about? We really should come to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 because this prayer that Jesus taught us is so simple. It is so easy to remember. In fact, the certain churches take time every single service to say this prayer. So like <laughs> some people can do it in their sleep. I've done it every Sunday for eight decades like it's stuck there i'm never gonna forget this prayer um but as you're gonna see we're gonna unpack it a little bit and you're gonna see that actually this prayer is so all-encompassing and nails all the important points that god would want us to hit as we are praying through it and so we're gonna we're gonna look at it and then we're gonna unpack it as we go so matthew 6 Starting at verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as, also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations use different words throughout this. For example, some will say, instead of deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. Some translations, instead of saying, hallowed be your name, some will say, may your name be honored as holy. And that's really what hallowed means. May your name be lifted above every other name. May your name be revered as holy and powerful and different from every other name. And if you're struggling with prayer, like your prayer life is something where you look at your walk with God, it's like, my prayer life could be so much better. This is not something that I do well. Then I would encourage you, start here. Every single day, take time and pray this prayer. But don't pray it in such a way that you rush through it trying to get the check mark saying, I've prayed today. <laughs> Good job, look at me. But to go through this prayer, to go through it, slowly and thoughtfully because like i said there's a lot going on the our father starts with our father in heaven hallowed be your name this jesus kicks it off by this heart of worship god you are above every other name you are the only god holy are you hallowed are you completely worthy of our worship. You're going to get stuck on the first two lines of the Our Father very quickly because you just get lost in worshiping and reflecting on how good our God is. Prayer, the, the model that Jesus starts with, starts with this worshipful, reflective, God, you are so good. God, you are so powerful. God, you... You could go on and on. We sing songs about worshiping God. We, we take time every service to start because this is where we need to start. Worship does something. It, worship is not about God. It's all about us. 
It sets our hearts, it sets our minds in a right spot so that we can respect and revere the God of the universe. Worship is all about us. And this is why Jesus teaches us and when we pray to start with, God, you are so good. You are holy. You are hallowed. Then he moves into the second part, your kingdom come, your will be done. We move from worship, we move to submission. We move into this, this posture in our prayer where God, as much as I could pursue my own kingdom, I could pursue my own ambitions, my own way of doing things, but God, your kingdom is everlasting. Your kingdom is really the only thing I need to focus on. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will, because my will can be so corrupted. My will can be so off target. My will needs a little bit of help, but your will does not need help. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is this acknowledgement that the things in heaven are so good. God, we just want heaven to come to earth. God, we just want how things are in your presence, in your glory to be, we want earth to be that same way. Your kingdom come. It is a submission recognizing that we want God to lead us. We want God to guide us. And we want our will and our intentions to come in line with God's will, God's intention, and God's plans. Move from submission to provision, right? This whole idea, God, give us our daily bread. And this one line actually comes out of a bigger context. In one of the Psalms, David prays this. He says, God, don't give me so much food that I forget about you. And don't give me so little that I hate you. God, give me my daily bread. God, give me just enough for today so that I recognize that you are my provider. You are the one who sustains me. You are the all good things come from you. God, I don't want to be so extra, extra, extravagant. I got to stop saying that word. In my lifestyle and in my living that I forget about you, that I think I don't need you. Which is one thing, it's funny when we look at the church across the world. The churches that are flourishing and working in God's power and so excited about what God is doing is also the churches where really God is all they have. And they know it. So often in the North American church, yeah, I'm throwing us under the bus. We, have our, we really do live good lifestyles. We really do have... We do really do live in luxury, and we so often forget that when it comes to life, when it comes to the things that we need, we need to come to God first. We don't need to go to Dr. Google. We don't need to go to, we, need, we don't need to get upset because we can't find the keys. We can't, right? We, we don't need to go to Facebook and complain about everything that's going on. We actually need to just come to God and be like, God, I need you. God, all good things come from you. God, give me, give us, give me my daily bread. From God's provision, we move into this idea of, of repentance. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those as we forgive our debtors. God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, forgive us our wrongs. In fact, in the, 
in church history, there's a group called the Jesuits. And the Jesuits, twice a day, twice a day they would stop everything they were doing and they would do something called the examine. And what the examine was, was to look back at the day that had been lived and say, okay, where have I seen God's goodness? God, give me my daily bread. God, where have I seen your graces? Where have I seen your blessing and your provision? And God, where have I sinned against you? Where have I fallen short on the things that you are teaching me and the things that you are leading me into? Twice a day, they would reflect. Twice a day, because there's this recognition that we are fallen people. Our nature is sinful. We, we will make mistakes. And so it says, humbly coming to God, saying, God, I, I, I lost my cool on my boss today. I, I got a little harsh with my kids probably a little bit today. I, I, I fibbed a little bit with the boss. I, you know, fill in the blanks. It's, all these, it's not just the big sins. You know, God, I murdered somebody today. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you're repenting of that. But it's the little things it's the, I lost my cool, I got angry, I had this thought that I probably shouldn't have had, I, I said these things that I probably shouldn't have said, Jesus, I, I've, I've fallen short, God, forgive me, forgive me for my sin, forgive me for my shortcoming, and as you forgive me, and as, as we experience the forgiveness of God washing over us, washing us white as snow, God, help me forgive those that have hurt me. God, for, help me to forgive because you have lavished and poured your forgiveness on me so powerfully, so abundantly. Help me in turn to forgive those who have hurt me. Forgive those who have done wrong to me. And they may not deserve it. They may not have it coming, but that, I, we didn't have it coming either and God still forgave us. So God, help me forgive those as you have forgiven me. And he closes it with moving from repentance and we move into this deliverance. God, deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. God, don't even let us be tempted to do things that are wrong. It's just, again, it's still humble. It's still recognizing that we are weak. It's still recognizing that our sinful flesh is going to still got a voice in our ears, still pulling us to do things that are contrary to God. And so we come and we're like, God, if left to my own devices, I'm going to fall. If left to my own devices, temptation is going to overcome me and take me where I don't want to go. So God, please lead me away from tempting situations. God, lead me away. Help me to be strong, to overcome the schemes of the evil one. God, God, deliver me. God, save me. Which is where our salvation, where our life with Christ starts. God, I am fallen and I need your salvation. I need you to pull me out of my situation and set me on the path that you have set aside for me. Lead us not into temptation. And one of the things that always strikes me about this prayer is that it's not lead me out of temptation, it's lead us. Right? All throughout the prayer, lead us, lead us, <clears throat> forgive us. It's this recognition that 
life and faith is more than just about me. And this model, you can see it all throughout the Old Testament. Darren talked about Daniel last week. Daniel follows this model. He starts with, oh God, you are so good. God, may your kingdom come. God, establish your promised nation. And he moves into this repentance, but he doesn't just pray for his own. He says, God, forgive Israel's sin. God, forgive Israel's wrongdoing. Forgive us, God. A while ago, I was reading a book by a man called E.M. Bounds, and one of the things that he said right out of the gate, he didn't even like wait to like butter me up so I got halfway through the book and then hit me hard. He's like, page two. He's like, the reason our countries, he's an American, but he's thinking about all of North America, all of the world. He's the reason the world is the way that it is is because God's people don't pray for everybody else. Our God's people don't pray for people. Our countries, they don't pray for our world, they don't pray for our society. God's people aren't doing what God called them to do. I'm going to close the book, put it aside, and lick my wounds after that one. It's not just, God, lead me from temptation. God, lead my family. And fathers, this is where this leads into you guys. Father, help me lead my family away from these tempting situations. Father, help me to avoid and to lead my family away from the schemes of the enemy. God, help me. One of the things that a mentor of mine once taught me was that it's not just, we often talk about how husbands and fathers, you are the men of the house, and so you're supposed to be the leaders, you're supposed to set the example. But one of my mentors once said, it's not just about being the man of the house. You are the priest of your home. You are not only responsible for teaching your children in the way that they should go, but it's also about imparting on them the spiritual disciplines that are going to help them through life and all throughout this series we've talked about stranded we've talked about being stuck on the islands of life and is your faith going to survive the spiritual islands well the bigger question is as we get to father's day is fathers if you are out of the picture are your kids going to survive the islands of life are your is your wife going to survive the islands of life have you done your job to equip them so that when you aren't around they not only survive but they thrive spiritually they thrive in the things that god has called them to because that is, falls on the shoulders of us men. And we have two options when we are faced with this reality. We either step into it and embrace it and own that it is our job, or we sidestep it, we step away, and we avoid the responsibility and be like, well, they'll figure it out. Because the problem is that so many dads, so many of us have had to figure it out the hard way. And one of the things that we can do, one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids and give our wife is make sure they don't have to figure it out the hard way. 
I figured it out, so let me teach you. Let me show you a better way. Let me show you what it means to be spiritually alive and thriving in this life that God has called us to. And it's not just about prayer. Moses says this in Deuteronomy 11. It says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, you shall teach them to your children. Talking of them when you're sitting in the house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children will be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, from the river and the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. Moses says that if you will commit, and not just you, but your kids and your family. And what is he saying? He doesn't say just read the word. Don't just like take some time and just read it so that you get the check mark. But he said you should be talking about it constantly. You should be discussing the themes that God is imposing on, impressing on you with your spouse and with your kids, saying, I was reading God's word and this is what God was showing me. What do you think? Your kids and your family should hear you talking about the things of God. They should see you and not see you pray, right? I'm not contra contradicting what Darren said last week. But when you remove yourself and you go to that private spot where you pray day in and day out, your kids are going to figure out what you're doing. They're going to figure out that you are separating yourself to pray just as God has taught us to. The problem is that our kids don't see us pray and our kids don't hear us talking about God's word. We talk about everything else under the sun. And God's like, enough's enough. Dads, fathers, we know that being a father is hard. I know that being a... I'm there. I, I get it, right? The whole, let's not lose our cool with the ch child that's putting shit on my buttons right now, okay? I get it. But it's not just about making sure your kids survive. It's about making sure your kids thrive. And it's not just making them thrive in life. It's to make them thrive in faith and in church and in spirituality and in their prayer and in their word. And the greatest way that we teach our kids how to thrive in these things and how to survive the islands and the difficulties that are going to happen in life, it's not just about, okay, kids, family meeting time. We're going to have a teaching time. It's them seeing you consistently doing it day in, day out. Because if you are making a commitment and you're making it a priority, then the question, they may not make it a priority right away, but they're going to ask why. Why is this so important to dad that he's got to do it every single day? 
why is it so important that he sets, he gets up a half hour earlier than normal and he prays and he reads? Why is this so important? Why is he always talking about it? Dad, we get it. Stop. You know what I've never heard? I've never had a teenager come up to me and say, my dad talks about the Bible too much. Never. I'd love to hear it, but I've never heard that. Moses calls us to it. Jesus set the example. Jesus taught us how to pray. Not just so it's like, oh, okay, yay, I know how to pray now. But it's so that we can teach our kids to pray. We can teach we can lead our spouses into deeper prayer. It's so that we can set the example. One of the reasons in the history of One Church that we have had the kids sit in service is that we've always been so amazed how they can be hurtling over chairs. Child will remain nameless, but we all know who we're talking about. And yet at the end of service, they know exactly everything that was preached. They can recite it. They've been listening. How? You were beating on your brother. How did you hear what was being preached? But they do. They hear it. So if they hear it Sunday in the midst of everything that's going on, they're going to hear it at home. They're going to hear it at lunch. And when you're taking the long trips through the city or wherever, they're going to hear you talking. They're going to hear you wrestling Talking and discussing God's word with your kids or so that they can hear it is not about having all the answers because your kids and your wife watching you wrestle with God's word is just as good. It means that it's important enough for you to not just glaze over the hard stuff, but you actually want to understand it and get it and apply it so that your life can be better. And not only will your life be better, but the lives of your kids and your grandkids and the generations that come up after you. We are called to be the priests, Dad. We are called to be the leaders. We can't just avoid it and hope that our wife steps up. Because she will. If you're not doing it, she will do it. And not that she won't do a great job. But you are the one who's called to it. You are the one who is. You are the one who's been burdened with it, and you have the calling on your life to be the priest of your home. And not that, like I said, not that your wife found do a good job, but you have an authority behind it that will just give it an enhanced effect. It will last longer. We know this because we have we've known for years. That if dad doesn't come to church, the kids won't come after high school. But dad's got to be here. Dad's got to set the example. Dad's got to impress it on his kids in order for it to last. <clears throat> so, dads, as a thank you, now that I've dropped that bomb on you... <laughs> Uh, everyone in-house, we have a special gift for you here at Carlisle and at the Redverse Campus. We have Father's Day gifts for you, so you are, don't rush out without it. Because you are burdened with big things, a coffee cup will go a long way to making sure that you have the energy to do all that God has called you to do. Um, but let's pray, and uh, worship team, you guys can start making your way. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the calling you've placed on us as dads. I thank you, God, that we have this glorious purpose that you have set aside for us, that we would be the priests of our home, that we would not shy away from that responsibility, but that we would step into it. And we would teach our kids to pray, we'd teach our kids, and we'd show them how important this stuff is by our actions and by our words, that we would make you a greater priority in our life. God, I pray a blessing on our dads, because it is such a big job that they have, such an important role they play in the lives, not only of their kids, but their, their friends and the neighbors and the community. May your anointing fall on every dad today. I pray, God, that today they are set aside. Today they are honored. God, help us, each and every one of us, to pray more earnestly, pray more intimately, so that we are prepared when the islands of life come. That, God, we will not just survive, but that we will thrive in the things that you have called us to. Thank you, God. We just thank you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.